Okay. (coughs) God. Predictable frog in the throat as soon as I press record. You'd think I'd be good at this by now. (coughs) That's funny. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Dead Planet Society. I am your host on the mic, as always, Adam Proctor. I'm a little diminished on today's show. Uh, I've had the stomach flu and or food poisoning. I don't know which one it was for the last couple of days. So you all have to bear with me the uh, lining of my throat as I was just telling my my lovely co-host for the day today, M.V. Watson. I was telling her the lining of my throat is half eaten away. (laughs) That was disgusting. That was a really disgusting way to open the show. (laughs) That was a bad intro. You know, I do it again, but I don't have the energy. Everybody, that voice on the mic that you're hearing uh, should be a familiar one by now. Uh, She graced us with her presence for the first Democratic debate, I believe it was, when we had like 30 candidates on the stage. And you'd have thought that by now, like some months later, four months later, like we would have had a much thinner, uh, you know, crowd on that stage. Uh, But we didn't. We still had a dozen people on the stage. It, It dragged on for three hours. MV Watson, remind the listeners out there uh, just who you are and what you're all about. Hi, I'm I'm MV. I uh, spent some time in academia and have been working in um, labor politics for the last several years, half a dozen years. Um, and I also, a couple of years ago, had the pleasure and honor of serving as um, the co-chair of East Bay DSA from about 2017 to 2018. Heady times. Um, and now I am um, back to just political organizing 12 hours a day for labor union that represents uh, healthcare workers here in California. Ah, yeah. 2016, 17. That was like the salad days of the, the United States uh, socialist movement, in a sense. Yeah, that was the like, holy shit, our membership is doubling every month. How do we, how do, what do we do? Yeah. So that was my time. <laughs> how do we socialism? I think was the question on everybody's <laughs> minds. So, yeah, we're talking about the debates that happened a couple of days ago. Uh, there have been a number of hot takes issued. Everybody sort of knows the mainstream reception of that debate. We're going to talk a little bit about it today. Uh, let's start off with biggest surprise. My biggest surprise was that not only did Amy Klobuchar come out swinging, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of the mainstream pundits are just eating that shit for breakfast, lunch, and dinner this morning. Since this morning, I should say. We're recording this on Thursday night. It's going to come out on Friday. Uh, The mainstream punditry, the punditocracy, the chattering class, they are just giddy with enthusiasm about the way that Klobuchar came out swinging. Larry Sabato, infamous Larry Sabato, this this, uh, alleged liberal that he is, uh, even, even went so far as to announce to Politico magazine that He's starting not to care that she is brutal to her staff. Amy Amy Klobuchar, (laughs) of course, infamously being outed uh, for beating her staff with a broom handle or something like that. Don't don't quote me on that. I'm not a real journalist. Threw a comb at them, I think. Threw a comb at them for sure. Like just, I mean, verbally abusive beyond – Anything that you would, you know, rightfully deserve from your boss or, or even like, you know, one of your best of friends. Sabato going so <laughs> far as saying like, you know what, people, I don't give a fuck about that. Well, I mean, it's so telling about what the liberal media is that, you know, it, this rested on some interpersonal re, um, interaction. His like 
assessment of her rather than, you know, her actual policy ideas. Exactly. And I think at this point, you know, we'll, we're both in agreement on this one that 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 pundit class is just eager for anyone to step into the void that is the space currently occupied by the politician <laughs> once known as Joe Biden. I, don't, I mean, where was he at various points on that stage? Where was he? I mean, we all joked about, uh, you know, propping Bernie up uh, beside the jukebox and filling him with the the bone marrow of, uh, you know, young millennials and zillennials. But it looks like the mainstream liberals are going to have to do that with Joe Biden. He's going to he's going to depart this world uh, on stage on the next debate if we're not careful. Uh, what, what, did you, what did you make of his performance last night? What can be said that that, that isn't uh, you know glaringly obvious? Well, I thought he was more present than the last one. He also didn't, you know, give any sort of pull up your pants kind of uh, answers on race. Although, actually, I don't think that came up. I mean, the moment that everybody is talking about is him trying to take credit for, you know, uh, Warren's signature achievement, which is not a bad, it's pretty decent thing that the consumer protection bureau it's of course just like more tinkering around the edges like we're used to seeing but yeah um as soon as he made the comment of you know i helped you get the votes and you did a good job at your job i was like oh that's the moment that's the moment that um is gonna be all over the punditry class the next day I mean, I think that he's just, you know, he's like Jeb Bush. He was like given this golden ticket or thought he was going to ascend to the throne. And he's really lackluster. And he's just been lackluster his whole career. He's just really skated on privilege. Um, Well, I don't really like to use that term, but, you know, just sort of having checked all the boxes of of being a politician, gone to the right schools and and also just being funded by bankers. We're going to come back to that in just a minute and talk all about uh, the troubles that are in his very near future as this Trump impeachment trial and hearing uh, looks ever closer. Um, It remains to be seen. You know, um, Nancy Pelosi pulled the vote last night, uh, two nights ago at the time of this airing. Um, So we're we're going to see what the House Dems have up their sleeve uh, probably at the beginning of next week. I doubt that anything will drop by by the time, uh, you know. They all head back to their vacation homes or what have you uh, for the weekend. That is. Um, so we'll return to that in just a moment. What did you make of Bernie's performance again there? You know, what can be said uh, that hasn't already be, been said by the like sort of effusive Bernie stand crowd? Because, of course, the reception here is very different depend, depending on who you ask. If you if you look at the Politico crowd, uh, you know, uh, you know, he was his voice wasn't as hoarse as last time. Right. Okay. That's, that's about as much as they can muster, you know, when it comes to him. Well, I've been, you know, kind of binging on liberal podcasts, you know, uh, recaps. And one thing I think actually that came out of this health scare out of the um, the the heart attack is that, you know, I heard people saying things like, you know, Bernie doesn't get as much credit as as he deserves. And there actually seems to be this genuine kind of warmth or concern for Sanders that I hadn't seen before. It's like people didn't appreciate him until, you know, he had a scare, which is, you know, it's kind of strange, but I I've observed that. I don't know if you've observed that, like people actually concerned for 
Bernie yeah, that aren't, yeah. you know, it's, Bernie stands like, that like great, you and it's I. It's like that great uncle you had growing up as a kid, you know, and you, you, he, mm-hmm. he wasn't very present, you know, maybe he was scarred from the war or whatever and sort of like sat in the corner during family get togethers and holidays, but then he had that, uh, that heart scare. And then finally you sort of appreciate him the last couple of years of his life and, he was able to stand up in Christmas and give the toast or something, uh, you know, it's like yeah. a very heartwarming moment that people are beginning to to recognize him. And I think that showed on the stage. There was a certain kind mm-hmm. of warmth shown to him at various moments throughout the night. And I don't know if it was just a difference in disposition that resulted from that that health scare, but or if it was a strategic thing. I hope it was a strategic thing. I would like to see Bernie staff be a little bit more savvy when it comes to certain uh, aspects of, of his campaign and these debates. But he was far more like amicable. He was this funny guy. I mean, yeah. look at him on like yeah. Stephen Colbert, like the late, the late night, the, the late show, right? He's, he's a funny guy. He's a personable yeah. guy. He's able to crack jokes. Um, and, and he did that on, on the stage the other night in a way that I think really showed his humanity. And we need to see a lot more of that from him. When you see that balance where, you know, he's got that strength of conviction and, and that emotionality that comes from, you know, the authenticity that just oozes from every pore. But we also need to see that kind of tempered with his humanity that he that he absolutely has, but but sometimes fails to show uh, on a debate stage. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I thought that he did, you know, this is the moment that like pundits have played over and over again, um, where he actually does explain that his bill is going to raise taxes but bring down overall costs at at his bill, meaning Medicare for all. And, you know, I think it's interesting because this was like one of the first times, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but it's one of the times I remember best because it happened, you know, less than 48 hours ago. Um, But it's one of the first times that like there's been a real distinction between him and Elizabeth Warren on stage, not like, by policy, but by the fact that Bernie is, is as Klobuchar says, like, will come out and say, yes, this, this will raise taxes. Whereas Warren was really evasive about that. And, you know, I actually think that that goes to his credit and that's plays to one of his strengths with working class people, which is that he's just honest. He's going to tell you, look, this is how much healthcare costs all, you know, all together in your budget. We're going to bring it down to one little predictable line item in your monthly budget. Um, rather than just being so paranoid that there'll be a clip where you you're saying that you're going to raise taxes that'll get played over and over again in Iowa, which is, you know, what Warren's take was on that question. Am I being clear like on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're spot on. And I mean, I would even go, uh, I would go even further than that and say that, you know, I think the, I think the, 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 the pundit class has it all wrong here. They're sort of saying like people going after Warren the other night shows that she's the front runner and everyone on that stage sort of understands there's a, this tacit agreement and understanding that she is now the sole front runner in the words of many and the words of many from Vox to Politico to even uh, I've seen some right some takes coming from the the, the political right sort of uh, claim you know throwing that out there but I, I'm not sure that's exactly correct I think everybody here sort of recognizes that this is still a three-way race and that all th- Biden, Warren, and Sanders all hold a tremendous constituency and, and power on the stage. I think, however, they were going after Warren because they could, because she's an hmm. easy target. 
Right. Nobody wants to go after the guy who just had a heart attack. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. They might, they might have had their but, kid gloves sorry. on with Sanders. Yeah. That, that's very true. I didn't think about that. But but the reason why they're going after Warren isn't just sort of this tacit agreement that she's a front runner. She's one of three front runners, and everybody on that stage knows it. Even the media knows it, even though they forget Bernie's name from time to time. <laughs> but but they, they, they're going after Warren because they can, because she's weak. And she, she, she won't just come out and say, well, of course taxes will go up, but overall costs will go down the way that Sanders will, because he will shut that talking point down. She's waffling right now in a way that makes her very, very weak. And, you know, I want to suggest that I think that we just, we saw some rifts opening last night on that stage that are going to continue to widen if she doesn't uh, take a much more bold stance uh, in, in defending her positions in the way that Sanders does. And I don't think that she can because she's really straddling a line right now trying to hold together this this coalition of Democratic Party insiders that she's worked so hard over right. the past year, yeah. according by some accounts. She's been calling up state party officials for the past 12 months even to try to you know get them on side. And this is a very ideologically diverse party insider coalition that she's trying to, to hold together, which which on the one hand, you know, gives her the opportunity to talk tough about big structural change, but also prevents her on the other hand from saying uh, exactly what that might entail for fear of of losing some of those people. I don't, what do you, what do, you, do you think that's too too Pollyannish right now, you know, for a Bernie stand at this point? That she's weak, that, that she's I weak mean- and we're seeing some 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 fractures sort of widening and opening up. You know, it's interesting because you can't talk about one candidate without talking about like the field, right? Which is, you know, you've got Biden occupying the like moderates, right? He's got the moderate vote. And then sort of the folks that want big structural change um, and to end like whatever comes to the left of that are, uh, you know, going with Bernie and Warren, you know, which is shaping up to be over half of the party. But I think that, I think that she's, she might have gotten to as strong as she's going to get. Does that make sense? Yeah, she, like so I wouldn't think say she's, she's weak, but she's peaked. She, yeah. But it, yes. is, is, could this <laughs> Thanks be a for case the thesaurus. Of, could, could yeah. this be, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was going like total mean girls. Like, you know, she peaked in high and junior year of high school, you know, <laughs> That's where I was going right. from. It wasn't, no, you know. No, but you're right. But, I think uh, that's the word I needed. Yeah, she peaked. peaked she peaked in high school. Uh, she peaked, but but that's a problem, right? I mean, that is a weakness in terms of peaking four months out of you know the the first primary, the first vote, which means that like she's just going to kind of be uh, shooting blanks for the next four months, or or just defending like an increasingly weak position, you know, as as her opponents continue to find better ways to poke holes. And exploit her weaknesses, she's gonna have she's gonna sort of be uh, fighting a losing battle, right. perhaps. But I mean, I think you're right. The fact that she's just sort of, you know, riven with contradictions, much like our system, uh, with trying to hold together this coalition of bosses and workers, whereas Bernie doesn't have to, you know, do that. And so, like her kind of reputation and sort of the cultural capital, I guess, that she has, you know, her brand, (laughs) the value of her brand is that, you know, she's honest and she's straightforward and she's from Oklahoma and tells it like it is and all of that. And if you can't, (laughs) 
great. It's like I grew up on the ragged edge of the middle class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but if you Ivy can't League be professor. honest about raising taxes, then like how how far can like how long does it take that brand until it gets worn out? If you can't be straight about that, and not only that, there's a guy right next to you saying being straight about that. And I'm sorry, not straight. Anyway, being very direct about that. The straight talk express, and, if you will. Right. Yeah. It's like the straight talk express that you actually want. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So half our listeners will be too young to know what that means, MV. I oh, know. It's, it's okay. This is a history podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? No, you're absolutely right about that. I think that the, the, the contrasts or lack thereof between what the rhetoric that she puts forward on stage versus you know her and Sanders or I should say I think it's going to become more and more clear as to to people are just going to say well Sanders Bernie's saying it why aren't you it's just going to be more and more obvious that she's dancing and yeah. tiptoeing through the tulips and I think the normies out there who who are going to be increasingly paying attention to this stuff the normies, you know, the ones who aren't sort of sold either, you know, hardcore Warren stands, these Hillary dead enders who are getting on side with Liz or these Bernie stands like us who who have very little nice things to say about her. You know, they're going to be an increasing, increasingly large number of normies coming around who who are just going to sort of see this. And it, and it just reeks of inauthenticity. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to put it. It just really does. And I think that, uh, you know, like sharks in the water. These, um, you know, these these four or five percenter candidates out there like Amy Klobuchar were swarming last night and we're going to see a lot more of that. It's going to be interesting to see how she how she uh, responds. Uh, yeah, to, to you know, I, I I think that's interesting because, you know, I'd like to if I were still designing a dissertation proposal, um, I might want to look at sort of analyzing the the kind of internal dynamics of the Republican field for 2016 and this field, right? Because nobody took Trump seriously. And so people weren't really trying to fight him until later on, uh, you know, where you get like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio get their asses handed to them. Um, so I wonder if that's what we're looking at now. You know, nobody's really paying attention. Like people are paying attention to Trump, but not taking him seriously. Like, okay, well, that's one kook on this stage. Um, and so they're, you know, trying to take chunks out of the other, like the, the so-called like real candidates, front runners. Um, I wonder if that's what was going on then and what's going on now. So you're suggesting Bernie's getting a bit of a pass because they're not taking him seriously. Or, or I mean, I that could be possible. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, he's, he was very tested in the last, you know, vetted in the, in 2016. So I'm not worried about him in that way, you know, cause sometimes they say, Oh, you know, this candidate hasn't been tried before. They could be weak to, you know, yeah. they could turn out to be weak. Oh, I was suggesting, I, I was think... turning it around to suggest that maybe that's a benefit for Sanders right now. Oh yeah. That he could, no, he could sort of be a sleeper right. and, and sort of let Warren take, take the punches. While, uh, you know, he sort of sneaks, sneaks in through the back door and skates by. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And let's talk about what the, the mainstream pundit class seems to be missing entirely, which is that Bernie Sanders, we now know, teased uh, an, an early endorsement f- mm-hmm. uh, that's you know, one of the most prized endorsements coming uh, out of the progressive uh, sector political yeah. class. Warren was bending over backwards, according to many in the press, trying to get AOC's endorsement, and Bernie has officially landed it. And not just that, but also that of uh, Representative Omar and Tlaib. 
Tlaib is not officially endorsed, but it's uh, she's she's endorsed. So they've got three out of the four members of the squad, the three of the four members of the squad who uh, are worth a shit, in my opinion. <laughs> um, Ayanna Presley's a notoriously no quite liberal and anti-labor. So, uh, oh, I, I didn't know that about her. Oh, she was a hardcore Hillary I'm supporter. Um, she's culturally yeah. she's culturally progressive. I think when it comes to the other stuff, she's quite. She beat out a. I'm forgetting the the, the woman's name, but she, her uh, her primary challenger was the real progressive in that race, and quite huh. shamefully, a number of progressive electoral groups backed Presley. Uh, quite likely because of her sort of like ability to sort of marshal like that culturally progressive sort of faux woke rhetoric. Um, Right. But that happens from time to time. I could name drop, (laughs) but I won't. Yeah. I'll be nice. From time to time is a (laughs) bit of an understatement, but yeah. Yeah. So, so three out of the four members of the squad have now endorsed Bernie. AOC is going to be appearing with him in Queens on Saturday. It's going to be huge. Uh, there's no question. Yeah. It's going to be the, the, the rally that is going to be huge. The, the energy, the momentum coming out of that, that is going to be huge. And the mainstream press is like virtually silent on this. And I think it's a game changer. What do you think? I mean, yeah, it actually, I mean, yes, I think it's definitely a game changer. I think that, you know, for, for Bernie Warren fence sitters who are under the age of maybe 33, um, this could be what, you know, kind of knocks them over into the Bernie yard. Um, I think it also is, um, just kind of the boost to like Bernie's cachet and, and maybe dispel some of the like age related worries, you know, okay. The guy had a heart attack, but now he's, you know, fit as ever on, on in front of the TV, you know, <laughs> in front of the TV, uh, in front of cameras. And now, you know, the, the youngest, most exciting part of the democratic party is behind him. They've chosen him as their horse given, you know, a, pro- a rather broad field of candidates. So I think, um, I think it's good. I, you know, I actually don't know if I would jump on the game changer bandwagon with you on that, mm-hmm. though. Let, let me explain myself. You know, let me explain myself. Yeah. Because I think you're right. Was this going to change anybody's minds? Were they going to, you know, jump uh, over from, from Buttigieg? Were they going to jump over from uh, Biden because of this endorsement? Likely no. No. Uh, should yeah. it surprise anybody that AOC endorses Sanders? No. I've been, I've been saying she's going to do it all along. I'm going to take a victory lap real quick, MV, on this one. Because all there's right. some listeners yeah. of this show <laughs> Just, who tell me all yeah. the time, look, at they're, they're wringing their hands. They're like, Adam, I'm so scared. I think I'm pretty sure that AOC is going to, going to, going to, you know, going to endorse Warren and that's going to be it. She's a sellout. You know, she's, she's giving in to the pressure. She's, uh, you know, succumbing to the kind of faux woke, you know, liberal progressive rhetoric, you know, and, and she, you know, she's gone over to the other side. And I said, everybody just calm the fuck down. I, I think that most of this concern around AOC and the squad uh, that, that pervades on sort of left social media, it's fan fiction. It's fan fiction. I, I'm sorry to tell you guys, it's fan fiction. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes, I think, in terms of these sort of political coalitions and these connections between the staffers that just completely um, contradicts that read of the situation. I don't think AOC was going to do anything ever other than endorse Sanders. It was a question of timing when it was going to be useful. Or stay out. The only um, other, yeah. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that happening either, to be honest with you. Um, I, 
And, and the story behind AOC's endorsement is one that I should share now because a lot of people, uh, they, they don't know this. So AOC endorsed on the day that Bernie Sanders had his heart procedure and was in the hospital. She decided to do it then and there on that day. And I got to be honest, I've been as critical of AOC as anybody in, in, when it comes to certain stances. Um, I, I think that she's sort of strategically and politically naive. Of course, how couldn't she be? She's young and she's a first-term congresswoman uh, under mm-hmm. under, an, yeah. under a tremendous amount I of I mean, pressure. I think, if anything, I think she's incredibly savvy. I think that she's got um, a sense of, yeah, I think she's a lot more savvy than her left uh, critics, for sure. Like, no right. doubt. Yeah. I mean, just given how young she is and new to politics, like she's incredible, like she's incredibly savvy for that, you know? No question. No question. I think that, you know, as with all people, I have problems with some of Sanders advisors and policymakers and whatever. We're going to we're going to have those issues because we're democratic socialists in a way that they are probably Mm -hmm. not. But that's fine. Uh, (laughs) Let's be honest. But 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 the fact that she picked up the phone. And, and and endorse Sanders while he was still in the fucking hospital. I think all of us, if we were honest with ourselves last week, thought that his campaign might be over. The hardest stands of all of us. It was scary. We were scared. Yeah. And, and I don't. I think we were all very hopeful, and we might have been, you know, posting otherwise on our social media accounts. But I think in our heart of hearts, we we would be lying to ourselves if we weren't absolutely terrified that this was it. And on that day, on that fucking day. When we were all sort of the Bernie stands among us, right, had had our tail, collective tails tucked between our legs, AOC picked up the phone and endorsed Bernie Sanders. That's yeah. I mean, that's an astonishing act of, of courage. I, I don't care who you are. And everyone who's been shit talking AOC for the past six to 12 months, I think owes, owes her an apology, should at least admit to themselves and, and to those around them that that they really misread and misjudged her character and and her like her moral clarity and courage in the face of of what was a a really like you know daunting situation um and the same could be said for Omar and Talib of course I don't mean to leave them out of this yeah I mean she's really um I think I was listening to some other pod I mean the other podcasts that pale in comparison to this podcast obviously <laughs> yeah, yeah of course um, especially when the host <laughs> is trying not to vomit in the microphone <laughs> also you know it's exciting it makes it looks like a head yeah. a page turner head turn I don't know but uh but you know she's really been kind of a delightful surprise because you know, being in being inside politics and sort of watching what happens, you know, it the the this corrupt system really changes people and it changes people really quickly, as does the kind of fame that she kind of skyrocketed to. So she could have very quickly and easily become sort of like the progressive liberal darling where she's, you know, reaching across the aisle and sort of adopt like you know, adopting this, um, adopting the position that a lot of sort of these sorts of left or yeah, left celebrities get into where they're, you know, the ones that are kind of trying to quell or manage the expectations of the more left parts of the coalition that they're in. Um, but she hasn't really done that. Uh, she's really, you know, set herself up as a voice, um, within, you know, the halls of Congress for, uh, for the movement and pretty, you know, been pretty accountable, um, compared to 
everyone else. I don't know. Besides Omar, uh, Omar and, and uh, Tlaib. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they've got a nice division of labor too, in terms of where they intervene, which is, which is what I think a lot of other people overlook a lot of times when people sort of, mm-hmm. you know, and again, I'm talking about a very, very narrow and marginal, increasingly marginal slice of the left on extremely online brigade here. So there's no, <laughs> there's no reason for us to, to, to leave, you know, to give them too much oxygen in this debate, but, but uh, for them to sort of hold up Omar, uh, you know, and, and, and trash AOC in the same sentence. And I want to be like, listen, you fucking idiot, you fucking idiots. You, you know, these people <laughs> are on the phone with each other like every day, right? You know, their staffers like go to lunch with each other like every other day. Right. Like they, they don't, you know, they, I could, whatever I could go on there. They, they hardly, <laughs> you know, take a breath without consulting with the other in terms of strategy and, and figuring and, and, and co sort of coast. Yeah. This, yeah, this idea that they operate, that they operate in total isolation and sometimes even opposition from one another. is just pure fan fiction. But anyway, I digress. I wanted to get to the point why I think this endorsement is potentially actually a game changer. Because it's going to force people to draw a line, one that they have been loath to do uh, so in a way they've been loath. I can't speak right now. You understand what I'm saying. I understand. Hopefully others do as well. (laughs) The the point being here is that I think a lot of wishy-washy progressives and just kind of like culturally signaling liberals have been leeching off of that courage and and like moral clarity that the squad minus Presley has been putting forward uh, since even before the the concentration camps, the shameful, you know, detention of migrants at the border, even before then. But certainly in that moment and, and ever since this kind of um, unchallenged moral certitude and clarity and righteousness that that their actions and their words and deeds inspired, I think, in a great number of people across the spectrum in this country. A lot of liberals and wishy-washy progressive types have been leeching off of that and sort of, yes, queen, you know, in the background without being accountable right. to the real meaningful aspects of their agenda that they want to bring along with them. And so I think this endorsement, like directly linking them to someone like Sanders, who's just a broken record about you know, political revolution and this kind of anti-capitalist structural transformation, right? People aren't going to yeah. be able to do that anymore. And I think that's really valuable. And I mean, it, I know it's just a purely kind of discursive, uh, you know, difference, but I think it matters here. Well, I mean, cause it answers the question, like, you know, you love AOC so much, you love Ilan Omar so much. What if they were president? What kind of president would that be? You know, or what if they were a presidential candidate? Like, what could they? What would they want to do with all that power? And it's like there it is. It's this platform that's really pushes people. Um, I think you know liberals out of their comfort zones and to kind of imagine. Okay, so if the morals um, and the ethics that you believe, you know, need to be enacted in the world. If you really put that into your policy, this is what it would look like. And it's Bernie's platform. Um, and, and clearly, you know, it's would be AOC's preferred platform yeah. as well. Yeah. It's something that we all, um, we, we all know, uh, it's, and it should be obvious, but for some just utterly bizarre reason, it's not, 
then again, it's not that utterly bizarre at all, is it? Because these these kind of wishy-washy liberal progressive types have mastered the art of triangulation uh, since at least, you know, the third way in the early 90s, even into the late 80s. And this is what they do. They triangulate. And part of triangulation is to sort of slough off the the sort of seemingly radical cultural content of anybody's agenda that gets people excited and and sort of keep that and and somehow either water down or or you know do away with altogether the really Disarm. meaningful kind of concrete uh, transformative aspects of that agenda. You know, you keep Obamacare, you get rid of single payer, classic maneuver. Right. Well, yeah, it's just co-opting like, yeah, it's co-opting sort of the excitement, the fun, the um, symbolism. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Hillary can't it's, it's get up funny. in front of crowds and get people all jazzed up about tax credits for very long, can she? You know, I mean, you just can't, you know, you can't. And, and right. the kind of these, uh, the tinkering at the margins that that these liberals are, you know, prescribing just don't get people enthused. And so they've got to leech off of the, the enthusiasm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, can we just talk about Harris trying to do that with tax credits? Oh, God. Still. Uh, you know, $500 a month in these people's pockets, you know. I mean, the the freedom dividend is more understandable than a tax credit, you know. And I think, I don't know, you know, I I moved on from like my very low income grad school income to, you know, a, a slightly more respectable income. And, and so now I understand <laughs> why people are so suspicious of tax credits because they don't, I mean, other than the earned income tax credit, it's pretty hard to get them if you've decided, you know, you can't afford to buy a house or have children. It's like not easy to get. Um, and they're not easy to understand. And it's just like more of this liberals trying to sell policies that are means tested and, and complicated and not easy to understand to people who like literally just want simple answers to their problems. And that's what they deserve. And they should expect that and demand it. We've just been taught not to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect segue to talk about Medicare for all. <laughs> and perhaps yes. the distinction. I mean, for all who want it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe that this guy, I mean, cause he's got, he's got millions of dollars coming from millionaires and, you know, all of that money to, I'm sure very highly paid consultants and all they could come up with is Medicare for all who want it. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who I had mean, their, Medicare for America was better. For those who had their like head, uh, you know, in a, in a deep hole the other night, uh, we're talking about mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg who has decisively placed himself in the position of the kind of uh, right center wet blanket candidate, uh, the candidate that uh, <laughs> the technocrat, the, the, the technocrat. millionaires and billionaires can run to uh, if if they're their nightmares, um, you know, about Warren and Sanders, uh, you know, overcome them with fear and, and whatever. How, how did you see that conversation playing out? Last night, I, I have a somewhat, I think, maybe idiosyncratic or unique take on this. But I think, you know, as with all things, man, these are all subjective. So what did you make of the Medicare for all debate? It was definitely something that the moderators at CNN and New York Times were were hell bent on getting some clarity. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that Bernie and Warren both missed an opportunity to talk about the overall cost of the system and why a public option is a bad thing. Um, and the fact that, you know, 
propping up subsidies for private insurance is just putting more money into insurers' pockets, and it's just one more barrier between you and your doctor. And I think that you can say these things really simply because because I've done it. You know, we I've talked to workers who were Trump supporters, and they you know their main they, these were healthcare workers, and their main fear about Medicare for all is that. Because more people would be able to afford to go to the doctor, their short staffing problem would get worse because <laughs> they're already short staffed and overworked. But, but, you know, and then once I explain we're going to bring down the cost of the whole system, they're like, oh, well, that makes sense because I don't actually need an insurer going in between me and my doctor if I just have enough money to pay the doctor. Um, but so I, I actually think that that was a missed opportunity. But I also think that, you know, Medicare for all who want it is just the worst name for a <laughs> program I've ever heard because yeah, yeah, yeah. it it already sounds like you're denying people stuff and putting people in different categories without their consent. It's just bad. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think, you know, Warren's I think best move of the night it's hard for me to say anything nice about her. I just, it's hard. I'm trying, I'm trying to be as <laughs> she's, even-handed she's as I like can. The, she's like the second good, second best person on the stage. Uh, just think about it that that's, way. That's like, you know, whatever. Uh, that's <laughs> like being the second best a lot of things that I probably shouldn't say on the microphone right now. Um, so <laughs> Blame it on the stomach flu. Yeah, right. Anyway, go so, ahead. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, her response to Buddha Judge uh, at one point, and I think it actually kind of put that to rest a little bit. He shut up very quickly after that. I don't know if maybe he saw, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> a threat to his framing and his offensive that he couldn't tackle or what. But but Warren shut it down when she said, you mean Medicare for all who can afford it. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if it was a yeah. timing issue. I have to go back and look at the actual tape of the debate itself. But but Buttigieg kind of went mum after that. I don't know if it was that he saw a sort of uh, a hole in his offensive that he had been launching for like the last 20, 30 minutes. Uh, but that, that seemed to shut it down. And I hope that's a talking point that both the Warren and the Sanders camp take on. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, maybe my, my take isn't so idiosyncratic at all. I don't think that Buddha judges, uh, you know, reliance on this right wing talking point of choice, right? I mean, it's a libertarian move. Mm -hmm. Anytime people talk, try to, you know, dismantle, universal social programs by by sort of um invoking the specter of choice 401k freedom. right like we've learned about choice with the 401 exactly right yeah exactly and I, I don't think that's very i don't think it's very strong and even though the pundits you know uh get totally jazzed about it i don't think the american people are going to fall for it um and I do think that you're absolutely spot on that sanders is going to have to come a little bit more correct when it comes to to selling Medicare for all as a net benefit, not only individually, but socially and as a country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Because all of those, all of those numbers and studies are in our favor. There's no question. That, by a lot. By, it's not even close. By a lot. It's not even close. Yeah. You know, um, anyway, you're absolutely right about that. I, you know, I've been again, like I've talked to you about this now. I've talked to a couple other people about this and, you know, I don't, you know, none of us are getting paid to do, to run strategy for any campaign or democratic party, uh, much less, but, but, uh, I think we all see this and it's a little surprising, honestly, that the Sanders camp isn't, isn't pushing this a little bit more, 
to, to, do, right. to do what others have said. You know, I'm not, this is an original thought, but what you've basically laid out is to argue that healthcare premiums are essentially a private tax. And so when you're talking, you know, before you talk about tax, you want to talk about overall expenditures for healthcare, and they will go down for almost everyone except for the rich, which is essentially what Sanders said, except he could have said it a little better. He could have said it a lot <laughs> better, actually. Yeah. What did you think of, I mean, so the other talking point is the, you know, P, uh, Buttigieg saying like, oh, I just think that we should, we can do better than obliterating insurance for 160 million people. This idea of, you know, you're going to lose your plan. You're going to lose. I mean, obviously I've taken the, I've drank the M for a Kool-Aid, but you know, it's this very, in, in the world of healthcare, everything is so uncertain. Everything's so hidden from patients and from quote unquote consumers. Um, you know, it feels very scary to go to the doctor because you do not know what your financial situation is going to be like afterwards. So to like inject more insecurity into that, I think is actually a really smart tactic on the, the side of, you know, on the part of our enemies. You think so? You think that's enemies. a good tactic? I was interested because I think that's a weak, I think it's weak. Uh, and I was a little disappointed that Sanders didn't chime in with his signature line that people don't like their health care and uh, insurance right. companies. People insurance, like their yeah. doctors. And he mm -hmm. didn't say it. And he had multiple chances to say it. He had multiple chances to, to, to chime in. I think he was sitting that one out. I do. I really do. I think he was strategically sitting that one out. I think he I'm saw her Warren up against the ropes and he let it happen. I, that, I, I mean, I, you know, I could be wrong. This is totally speculative. But I think he saw Warren up against the ropes and she, he saw that she was not going to go as far as he would, which would say, you know, would taxes as a measure of like, say, public taxes go up for the middle class? Yes. She's trying to score points by forcing him out on this island alone, uh, acknowledging that taxes yeah. as a very sort of, uh, you know, narrow way of framing people's expenditures, taxes for the middle class will go up. And she's forcing him out there on this little island. And then he saw her, he's looking across the vast sea at her getting her ass handed to her up against the ropes. And and he wasn't about to, to jump in and, and save her. And and I don't blame him. She had to, no, she's got I think to, that's interesting. Yeah, she has yeah. to eat her own, you know, uh, whatever. She's got to sleep in her own bed that she Crow. made for herself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure on metaphors at A and B. Yeah. Well, you just did a. Uh, we had just a, a naval or a seas or oceanic metaphor. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. An island. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, yeah, I think that that was kind of the broader rhetorical game, right? Is that people are going after Warren for being wishy-washy on stuff. She's trying to let sort of Bernie carry the water from M for A where he actually says people, you know, will have their taxes increased. And and his response was pretty well-timed. He was like, yeah. You know, you're right. People's taxes will go up. Their overall costs will go down. That is it. That is the long and short of it. You know, that's the whole thing you need to know. Warren, it does not look good that she's only going to say half of that. It makes her look scared and it makes her look like what else is she not going to tell you because she doesn't want it to end up on a, you know, Trump ad. I don't know how many times we have to watch somebody completely eat shit. Uh, when they try to play this game that Warren is playing before we just recognize that every time you try to play that game of being everything to everyone 
and hiding, you know, the, the scary parts of your agenda that you're going to eat shit. <laughs> like, I don't know how many times that has to be demonstrated before people just acknowledge it. So Sanders kind of uh, steady handed uh, clarity and courage in the face of this, I think, is the only way to do it. And it doesn't mean that you're going to win. You know, he, he might still not come out on top. Right. This isn't a guaranteed, you know, to victory. Oh, no, that's a very big risk. Uh, <laughs> yes. But but, but yeah. I think what we can say is that trying to do it the other way, I think, assures defeat. I really, really do. I think that Warren is in big. I'm just going to say it. Whatever. Who cares? You, you guys like me. You know, no one here is like, you know, out to no one's going to post this on sure uh, Twitter, you know, <laughs> six months from now and call me an asshole. Just kidding. That that happens. Every That'll day. definitely That'll happen. That'll definitely yes. happen. Uh, I think after I think after this week's debate, Warren is in big, big trouble. I really, really do. And and, I, and, and that is irrespective of the, the, the momentum that now seems to be swinging in Sanders direction when it comes to getting that progressive vote. I think yeah. that she's going to have to shift strategy in order to overcome these these gaps that are starting to to open up in her and her uh, her little one two punch her little. What do you think of right? So so you're saying this, and I'm like kind of playing this out because you know the the kind of conventional wisdom is that. Bernie and Warren are going after the same pool of voters, right? But we look at the numbers, right? The the demographics of who are actually backing them. And we see that actually, if we look at this in terms of class or even age, you know, working class people are going for Bernie and, and not so much for a Warren. What do you think that means, you know, if Warren starts to tank in terms of how her voters get redistributed? I don't think that anybody right now is I mean, OK, I think I think I think both of those I think both of those both these things can be true. On the one hand, there are like objectively like, you know, scientifically measurable differences and distinctions in their in their basis. Um, Matt Carp just wrote a really, really great uh, essay for Jackman. I'm going to have him on the show in the next couple of weeks or so to talk about it, about this kind of PMC Ooh, cool. class that um, is is opening up in favor of, of Warren and what this means for these kind of um, – these politics, whatever. I, I won't try mm -hmm. to summarize his article in, in 10 seconds or less. It, so, yes, these are objectively like measurable differences in these two bases and they do matter. I think that can be true, but at the same time, what can also be true is to say at this stage in the election, especially when it comes to polling, the, the real meaningful uh, numbers when it comes to these percentages that we're looking at are not ideologically aligned enough uh, for, for them to, to really matter much at this phase of the game. I think when you look at like donors, when you look at volunteers – Certainly when you look at like say surrogates or people who have actually knocked on doors or whatever, like those people aren't going to change. They're, they're not going to sort of jump ship. But those aren't necessarily the people that they're polling, calling up on the phone. Uh, these people are far less ideologically um, like solidified at this point, I think. And so, so I think there's a, I mean, I, again, I would have to look at the numbers and I would have to look at how they're looking at the polling data in terms of judging where these people are coming from class wise. I don't I, – I, again, this could be pure conjecture. I don't think that Warren supporters at this phase are as anti-Bernie as Bernie supporters are anti-Warren right now. 
or hmm. or will be. And I think it's because of her lack of authenticity is going to really show through. I really do. I think her lack of authenticity and her inability to articulate, uh, you know, what is really meaningfully, you know, um, effective about this kind of anti-politics sort of uh, anti-status quo structural change agenda that she's trying to put forward. Again, all all conjectural at this point. People can just call me a Stan and, and write me off. They can say I'm doing the Jacobin two-step or whatever it is that uh, <laughs> Matt Iglesias accused uh, some people of doing after the, the debates. Um, I don't know. I don't, did that answer your question or was that just sort of evasive? It's, it felt evasive, but, yeah, I, but it also seemed it, meaningful. It feels evasive. But I mean, I think that, you know, the sort of the like basic bitch thing to like – assume is that you know they're going after the same voters and if bernie starts to fall then warren is getting his voters Mm, or if warren starts to fall then bernie is getting his voters um and you know i think that there are definitely people who are like bernie warren both of them i love i know these people these are like i know a lot of people who are like totally bernie or warren you know nobody else so i don't know i mean I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are people like me, I've been around long enough that I'd be grateful for a Warren. Cause like, you know, that's where I was at least pre 2016, like Warren would be amazing because of the, just like slop that, that is the democratic party. What are the choice I guess the have? other question I'm wondering about, you know, these are just, I, this is me <laughs> taking the reins. I just have one more no, question go for it. to, to raise is, um, you know, what happens to what, where's Biden going from here on out and where are the Biden voters going? Again, I think, I think that we can, we can be a little bit, let me try to clarify. I'll answer that question by trying to clarify the the hot mess that I gave you just a second ago. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> it's going to take a little bit of time again. I'm, you know, again, uh, apologies both to MV and the stomach flu. Yeah, I'll just you know, blame it on I the stomach like flu. Absolute hell right now, folks. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to soldier on. Um, I think that I, I really, I think that the polling right now really betrays the lack of certainty and clarity in almost uh, everyone's yeah. minds. Yeah. And I think that just because polling, here's what I was saying where I say both can be true. I think, I think, I think just because the polling, because polling produces reliable numbers across time and space, we then believe that, you know, the world must necessarily reflect, you know, the objective measurement of said world. And anyone who's studied anything about, you know, philosophy of science or, or, or paid any fucking attention to 2015, 2016 uh, mm-hmm. will know that that's not true. That we social scientists and social scientistic uh, or social scientifically or there's the word social scientifically oriented political commentators and speculators can oftentimes delude ourselves into believing that these polling, you know, these represent these polling generated representations of political reality are political reality themselves. And then we start creating and crafting a world in that, in that, you know, mold. Um, and, 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 yeah. and I think, I think that the, the certainties of people at this phase are, are far more um, contested. You know, Adam, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you right there because I am doing the thing that 
we talked about earlier that we hate, which is I'm focusing on the horse race. Well, we all do, though. And I just want to apologize. Well, we all, we, look, we all do. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, Ben Burgess said it a couple of weeks ago in, in a way that I really liked. Uh, he and I were talking about this off air quite a bit before we before we began and he said it on the show and we both kind of came up to this conclusion about the horse race and like ah fuck we're doing it again and he's like this is the biggest problem about the way that we talk about elections right now is that like you know very few people on our side of the spectrum have anything nice to say about nate silver and the nate silvers of the world but but like what we are all doing at this point in time like we're encouraged we're invited we're called we're interpolated if you will if you're into that sort of thing (laughs) We're interpolated well, also, into being like our own little mini, mini Nate Silvers, right? Like, right. That yeah, that was that was Ben's and, insight, yeah. which which is like you know, you've just done it, but that's fine because like we're all sort of we're all sort of doing it right now. So to answer your question, I think both can be true because we're invited to do it, and so there's a way in which sort of cribbing off of a very like pop version of philosophy of science. Apologies to the real practitioners out there. But like the problem with this stuff, the way that representations of of scientific phenomenon become substituted for for the phenomenon itself is that actually becomes like performative in the world. And you can trace that in science. You can trace that in the, in the history of sort of measurement and representation of scientific phenomenon. You can absolutely trace that when it comes to a political phenomenon as well. And so sometimes the discourse, right, capital T, capital D actually does. I mean, it, they, it, it becomes performative in that sense that we begin, the pundits say it enough, people believe it enough, and it just becomes true. I think it was, was it you actually that shared the anecdote that um, you did share the anecdote, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, on your social media feed that the, uh, the, the healthcare workers uh, had a, a co-endorsement of, of, of Sanders and Warren. Oh, that was Chris Brooks, Chris actually. Chris Brooks, editor of Labor right. Notes, and future guest And he was completely show. right. So yeah, t- yeah tell the audience about that. Was, this is the performative uh, element that I'm talking a little bit about. Right. So we were, you know, so, uh, you know, full disclosure, I worked for this union, um, um, NUHW, and we had an endorsement process um, that was very... Uh, it's like the most transparent democratic uh, political endorsement process I've ever seen any union put on. Uh, most of these decisions for unions are made in like a back room by um, basically by the staff and like a, a president. But so Mobbed we had bureaucrats. Um, what? Who said that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're. Uh, so we had members, you know, vote on who they wanted to endorse for president. And, you know, we sent out questionnaires to all of the current candidates, including Donald Trump. And some of the candidates responded more. Many of them did not. We offered for them to come to our conference or to Skype into our conference or to record a video response or do like a taping um, where we're where members are asking questions. And people, you know, different candidates did a different different combinations of that. The only one who um offered to Skype in and do a live Q&A with members was Bernie Sanders. And uh, the vote went sort of overwhelmingly to Bernie and Warren, but Warren ended up winning. And we had said from the beginning that, you know, if, if it was close, we would do a dual endorsement. And so we ended up doing a dual, dual endorsement of uh, Bernie and, and Warren and Chris's analysis of it, and I think this was right, you know, from we 
we were both at this conference and we both had conversations with people who went for Warren or, or Sanders that a lot of people went for San- for Warren because she just sounded more like a president should sound, i.e. more professional managerial class, or she was more electable. And, you know, they're very concerned as they should be about getting a decent NLRB. And they know that's only possible under a under a Democrat, <laughs> um, under the right kind of Democrat, if we're being honest. And, you know, so people were hedging and making a, a, you know, at least some of the people who voted for Warren were hedging and making a safe, safe they just saw Warren as safer than Sanders. Um, and as somebody who has Sanders politics, but is maybe more electable is the kind of decision I think that a lot of people were making. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's the story. Exactly. I'm sorry. I'm a little uh, rusty on it. I forgot that you were directly like, uh, implicated yeah. in that story, but that that's like a perfect example of the kind of performativity that I'm talking about where, you know, I don't think that, uh, people are as solidified right now in terms of their ideology or their preferences or whatever. They're far more, you know, um, undecided. And I do think that the way that the discourse frames this for people, matters a great deal right now. And so I think we can just sort of, we're coming to the tail end of our discussion here. And I think we can sort of bring it all home now with like why I think that AOC's endorsement and then the squad's endorsement of Sanders is really a game changer and why I think it is that uh, uh, Warren really has an uphill battle from here on out in a lot of respects, because I do think that she lost the, the, she, she, I think she lost the progressive, Oh, fuck me, Envy. You're gonna force Bonafides? me. You're gonna, you're gonna force me to say something even more uh, contentious. That I think she lost oh, no. the progressive primary last night. Hmm. I think she did. I don't think there's any. She's gonna have to lurch to the right. I don't think there's any way now that she, now that Sanders has AOC, Talib, and Omar on the side. I don't think there's any way that Warren can can play this play continue to play this game where I'm just Bernie but more electable. Because if she was just Bernie more electable, why wouldn't at least one of the people in the squad go for Warren? Why would they choose at all? Right. Why would they bother oh, to choose at all? Yeah. There's an emerging right. there's an emerging sort of le- principled left progressive electoral political coalition that's forming. It, it, you know, as a result of these endorsements. And now it's going to be a game of whose side are you on? And and I don't think that Warren's going to fare well in that battle. And if she does, if she continues to fare well, the sort of class alignments are going to be a lot more bare. They're going to be laid bare in that process. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I am as optimistic about this as you are. I think that, you know, if Warren... So I think what you said earlier about her the kind of coalition that is backing her that she is trying to play to um, is riven with contradictions. And she's trying to hold on to that professional managerial class vote while trying to pick off working class voters from, from Sanders. And, you know, you're right that she's got to hold on to authenticity, but I also think that voters, you know, just like the voters at our, um, conference that I just talked about, understand that, you know, maybe you can't say everything that you're going to do, or maybe some of the things you say you're going to do, you're not going to do them, right? That's what Trump's voters said, right? Oh, he's not really going to build the wall. I'm just voting for him because I like him. I think that, you know, 
I think that the support for Warren runs a little bit deeper than that. I think she's gonna have to fuck up a little bit more. You think so? Is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I, I think if anything, I'm, for sure, what I'm banking on is is this: is that I will agree immediately with something that you sort of hinted at. I think at the beginning of your rebuttal was that is that news travels much slower. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to normies, like so, so will they will they wake up tomorrow <laughs> and read their newspaper and decide that they're jumping ship to Sanders? Like, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, but I do think the way that that this is going to filter into the mainstream is going to is going to force a change in in the debate. And I don't know. I could be totally. I could be a little Pollyannish right now. I could be, but still you know, feeling the buzz a, from the endorsements. Well, I do see a route to vict or not to victory you know, to, not to certain victory, but, you know, a route to, I I don't know, better, more, I don't know, better, um, for Sanders in just really, you know, cause I think that there's like, you know, I've been kind of thinking, okay, when is it that he's going to have to go after Warren and really differentiate himself? And, you know, how is that going to play? Attacking Warren is not going to be good. There's this whole thing that, you know, Cory Booker kept hammering home like he was some kind of school marm, like, don't be mean to each other. Um, And Cory Booker is actually a whole other, Cory Booker and Klobuchar, we didn't, I was hoping we'd get to throw more shade at them in this conversation, but that's okay. Um, I think Klobuchar (laughs) won herself. uh, She definitely punched her ticket to the next round of debates, which was not, I mean, she was one of the four, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, who were all but sort of finished at this point. Four or five, uh, I think, were at the bottom rung. Um, They were all but finished. Uh, You know, I mean, you've you've got Biden, Warren Sanders, Buttigieg, Yang, and then um, there was a sixth who's still uh, hanging tough there. Who am I leaving out? Um, Beto? No, but no. He's, he's he's he's. I guess I guess Harris because Harris still Harris, has a pretty strong yeah. donor base. She's fallen quite a bit, but those are the six that that were sure things. And I think the the easiest one to pick off uh, right away is is probably Castro. And then better. What about Tom Steyer? Yeah, Steyer's got the money to stay in. It depends on you know what the what the hurdle is. Well, he's got to he's got to translate that into three yeah. percent. Uh, he's got to pull at three percent. I just looked up the qualifications. Three percent. Yeah, I don't know if that yeah. happened. But I think Klobuchar but punched so, her ticket. What did you want to say about Klobuchar? Because I'm just over here being incredibly speculative. Probably a bit of a Bernie stand. I, I really do think that Warren's in trouble. And if her advisors and her staffers are are smart about this, they're gonna we're gonna see some kind of pivot. I'm just not sure what that pivot is going to be. That's something I, that's what I can say definitively. If, if they're not completely that you're see heads a pivot up their with ass, Warren? she's going to have to do something differently next time around. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess what I was going to say, actually, sorry about Bernie is that, you know, I was worried about sort of when is he going to have to start attacking Warren? Like when can, when will he like start to go negative on Warren? And I think this debate actually opened up kind of an, a different, path for him which is like he's just gotta keep being the like socialist straight talk express because she just won't be you know <laughs> like he's just gotta say g- i wrote the damn you, bell bless you my child you just <laughs> named this episode oh no okay the socialist straight talk, <laughs> straight talk express. express um those of you who are wondering and- where that title came from <laughs> here it is you witnessed it yeah so so i think actually no that's that's a really insightful thing i think i agree with that continue continue with that thought yeah oh just 
Klobuchar, I think you're right, did punch her ticket to the next one. And I think that she did it by doing something that Cory Booker was trying to do, which is be meta and like, you know, give the like, aha, head scratcher kind of um, observation, because that's sort of one of the things you can do to distinguish yourself in in these kinds of situations. And um, it was her big idea comment to to Warren. Oh, you know, you're being mean to us just because our ideas are different doesn't mean that we don't have a big idea yep, too. Yep, yep, yep. That's and, exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. I thought it was funny because it was like, well, this is a whole thing about, you know, a competition of ideas and your ideas suck. So really like not all ideas are but, are but equal, if but Warren that's what she's trying to say. isn't willing to spell out exactly why her big idea is different. If she's just here for the big structural change and she's not going to spell it out in the on the terms that the kind of anti-establishment terms that Sanders is ready, willing and able to lay out, then it's going to she's going to be weak, incredibly weak when it comes to these counter attacks from the likes of Klobuchar. You're right, because if it's like, sure, yeah, OK, yeah. whatever. I mean, all really Klobuchar and Biden from here on out, if they're if their advisors are like worth their weight in air. They will attack Warren <laughs> by insisting on like, why do you think you're special? What makes you think that your big ideas are any better than our big ideas? You know, who said that Obamacare wasn't a big idea? I'm Joe fucking Biden. I got Obamacare passed. I think we all agree that's a big idea. Why is your big mm-hmm. idea better than my big idea? And Klobuchar could come up with a set of, you know, seemingly big ideas as well. And it's again, like if you're if you're if you're forced into this kind of like hollow rhetorical posturing that Warren is is uh, backed into because of this this fragile, contradictory nature of this coalition that she's built for herself, then I think that makes her very weak. I think that's a that's a really interesting point. I'm gonna have to think a little bit more about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we covered all the bases. Um Thanks, listeners out there, for tolerating uh, my my ill mind, my brain that's been sapped of nutrients for the past three or four days. Um, the impeachment trial. We did not talk about the impeachment trial. I know. Uh, I've got a hot it's like take a on whole that. other hour. It's a whole other hour. Look, the TLDR here is the further this impeachment trial goes on, uh, the more deep shit Biden's going to find himself in, up to and including – the end of his campaign, because there's been a number of people out there who have already written articles about this. I'll link to it in the show notes. If I remember, there's a constitutional scholar who's come out and basically said he spelled out for people. Okay. This is what exactly this impeachment trial is going to look like based on, you know, uh, history, based on case law, based on fucking whatever it was that, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote in the federalist or whatever. I might have that completely wrong. I'm sorry. Actually, Thomas Jefferson (laughs) was an anti-federalist or whatever. I don't know. Don't, don't. You sound very smart. Don't law, don't law shame (laughs) me, bro. I believe it was Madison wrote in the federalist to be more correct. Uh, It's just like neither Trump or Biden are going to come out of this looking good. Right. And the constitutional scholar basically said as much. It's like, you know, this is this is going to be as much, if not more, a, a referendum or a trial of possible malfeasance with respect to Joe Biden and his son Hunter than it would be Trump. Uh, Trump is based, his defense is basically going to be that he was just simply trying to weed out possible corruption with respect 
to the Biden Association, and and that's well within his remit, his responsibility, even as as president of the United States, as head executive. Basically, it seems like basically Trump would have to do this to someone else as well, you know, to like establish that this is a pattern of the president using relationships with foreign, you know, to go after competitors. Well, that, that this this piece is really instructive here because he lays out a number of, of of areas where a president has actually inquired about a possible political rival in order to to carry out what would be like a justifiable act of of either treason or malfeasance or corruption or well, what have you. I mean, he goes back didn't to, Obama He goes back to Aaron Burr for fuck's sake and, and then talks about oh, wow. uh, an an issue with I believe uh the Johnson administration and, and Nixon in uh China, I believe. So there there are a lot of there's a lot of precedent for an executive attempting to investigate their potential rivals when it comes to these things. But didn't Obama have the have some agency like look into Trump at some point during the campaign or is that just a right wing talking point because I also consume right wing yeah. media well I mean the FBI uh, vets um, very uh, candidates and, and campaigns pretty routinely it's kind of like a standard audit or something like that if I'm not mistaken uh, it may be the FBI and or and like some other agency performs just kind of like an, a, an audit, like a perform some kind of due diligence when it comes to that. So I don't know. Then I guess the question would be whether or not it was directed or whether right. or not it was audited by the president himself right? and for what reasons. Um, so so there could be something there as well. But but again, the bottom line is this is any imp- any, any impeachment trial is going to be um, uh, an investigation of the Bidens and Joe is not going to come out looking good here. So uh, as he should. Your question stands. Where will the Biden supporters go? I don't yeah. know. I have no idea. Well, I mean, I think I think we're, we're we're seeing a heads up their asses moment the same way that, you know, a viable competitor. Uh, you know, w- for Trump, uh, you know, was nowhere to be seen and a significant mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of yeah. the kind of conservative coalition was kind of head up their asses and helpless uh, bystanders to watch Trump's, you know, ascent. We could see something very, very similar on the on the liberal side of the spectrum. Yeah. Well, and then they eventually got on board because they could get their juicy tax cuts. Right. Lindsey Graham and. The only people who haven't come around are like Romney and the Bushes. Well, that was a fun conversation. I hope everybody enjoyed this. MV Watson, thanks again for coming back on to talk to us about this debate. Maybe you can do it again in November. My pleasure. Hopefully. I would love to. There'll be way fewer than 12 next time around. I don't know about that. All right. Hot take. (laughs) Hot take. Who's out? Who's out and when? Oh, Castro within the next month. Ooh, um, do you give him a month? Steyer will stay in. He's just too narcissistic. He's got the bucks. Um, I think Booker's out soon. He's. I think he's going to go start a ministry somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that was uplifting. He's got a lot to say about morals. 
and, right. and, and how everyone on this state, uh, everyone on the stage with him should behave as well. That's honestly like being thing. vegan is the most endearing and like, you know, defensible thing about <laughs> it's very relatable <laughs> about, uh, about him. Anyway, uh, he should just actually do us all a favor and get up, give up eating entirely. Forget about meat. Like go, go oh. bigger, go bigger, Corey. <laughs> Don't just save, don't just save the animals, you know, save the plants. I mean, I really do think he, yeah, should start a ministry and that seems to be his lane. No, no I think you're right about that. Klobuchar punched her ticket. Good for her. I think Beto's out pretty soon. I think he, yeah. he's a defeated yeah. man. Uh, yeah, he's deflated. Poor guy. Sad. Maybe he'll actually run for Congress like he should have done in the first fucking place. All right. Signing off, Adam. We're out. MV, thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye, guys. I mean, people. <laughs> so not woke. <laughs> See y'all then.